Welcome to the Calibre podcast, brought to you by the Watchers of Switzerland Group. In this episode, Mark Tolson, Global Head of Watch Buying, meets with Robin Swithinbank, journalist and regular contributor to the New York Times, FT, GQ and Vanity Fair. Robin was also the launch editor of our own in-house Calibre magazine 15 years ago, so it's wonderful to welcome him back. They round up this year's LVMH Watch Week. The pair discuss exciting new launches from Bulgari, Zenith, Tag and Hublot, as well as any trends they've seen emerge from the fair. Join our horological experts as they reveal their standout pieces and their overall favourites from this year's LVMH Watch Week. Good day, everyone. Hi, it's, it's Mark Tolson from the Watchers of Switzerland Group, and today I'm talking to uh, Robin Swithenbank. Hello, Robin. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Thank you very much. Nice to see you so early in the year. Absolutely, yeah. So, as, as you know, Robin is a, is a freelance journalist, writer, editor, speaker. He's the original creator of Tempest Magazine, going going way back, and sort of morphed into the Watchers of Switzerland's Calibre Magazine, which I think is 15 years old now. Uh, so, it's uh, it's it's quite a long publication for the group, and he's a also a, a, a great authority on watches and, and friend to the Watchers of Switzerland group. So thank you for joining us, um, Robin. Thank you for having me. It's only January and um, we're on to our first major watch event of the year, LVMH Watch Week. Um, so um, anything, you particularly, uh, anything you particularly want to, uh, to say about LVMH Watch Week, uh, Robin? Other than it's, it's great to get started again with new product, I guess. It is, isn't it? We're now in this um, perpetual cycle of watch launches, and it, it seems only fitting that it should start at the beginning of January, um, which I suppose it always did to an extent with SIHH, but as we know, that's uh, now been rebranded and repositioned in the calendar. Um, I mean, LVMH, LVMH Watch Week is, uh, is a product of the pandemic, isn't it? Rather like um, working from home and rampant inflation, except it's a little <laughs> bit more joyful than the latter, certainly. Um, I was at the first one in Dubai. I'm not there this week in uh, Singapore, which is... Uh, well, it's a long way to go for four or five days for four or five brands, and uh, sadly I couldn't make it. But um, uh, it's a it's become it's become an important um, pillar in the calendar of annual watch events. I'd say, even though it only covers four brands, perhaps because it starts the year off, perhaps because it's four of the most important brands in the watch industry, four of the most interesting brands with loads of stories to tell, lots of very different watches. There's no sort of common thread that keeps these four brands together, other than they all belong to uh, the LVMH Group. Um, and a part of one division, um, but it's uh, it's exciting to get going with these watches, and uh, we'll uh, as we'll discover in the course of our conversation, there are some pretty remarkable bits and pieces coming through. That's that's right, that's right. And as you said, uh, Robin, the, the sort of physical event uh, or the major part of the event is in Singapore, but uh, there are satellite meetings uh, across the world. So we've had our, our watch meetings in in London, um, and um, the, the, the four brands we're going to talk about uh, are part of the LVMH stable are Bulgari. Hublot, Tagoyer, and, and of course Zenith. Um, so, um, well, I guess let's get going then. Uh, lots to talk about, and I guess we should start alphabetically with uh, with Bulgari. Um, so, what what are, what are you noticing from uh, from from Bulgari these days? Well, there's there are still two quite clear strands in the Bulgari story these days. The first is what they're doing with Octo and uh, the Finissimo, and somehow managing to make thinner and thinner watches pushing the uh, pushing the envelope as we know that their uh, their world record breaking ultra thin watch uh, last march was very swiftly deposed by Richard Mille only a few months later um, and as having spoken to Antoine Pin since then they are uh, I believe actively working on trying to break the record again get down to about 1.7 millimeters which is uh, it's unthinkable no. really isn't it i i mean <laughs> i don't i mean really? technically it's unthinkable mm. 
but aesthetically it's almost unthinkable mm-hmm. as well because it becomes so thin that it's almost invisible on the wrist except from except from when viewed above and I, I, I personally although I appreciate the technical aspect of it I like to wear something slightly chunkier on my wrist I like a sports watch that has a certain weight to it um so anyway, they're doing all that sort of stuff, and that's incredible. But then on the other hand, they have this uh, extraordinary, beautiful line of, um, I suppose we could call them jewellery watches, uh, broadly speaking. Some of them are obviously just uh, produced in steel with black dials. The, the, the Serpenti is available as a fairly simple time-only watch. But um, there's this sort of epic um, story of um, jewelled watches, which of course ties back into to Bulgari's heritage as, uh, as this Roman jeweller. Um, and uh, there are some interesting things coming through this year in that space, which I shall probably let you uh, introduce. Sure, thank you. Yeah, uh, I mean, the um, I guess it's the, the, the Serpenti collection um, is uh, is obviously a big thing for them. As you, as you mentioned, they, they, they started life in, in Rome, I don't know, 139 years ago. Um, and many of the designs for their watches sort of take inspiration from from ancient rome don't they so uh, so i think uh, i think the serpent was a was a, a big thing in ancient rome symbol of rebirth symbol symbol of uh, of healing etc um and that seems to flow through into the uh, into into the serpenti collection um so um yeah the the the, the one with the watch that's uh, been introduced a part of the serpenti the existing serpenti collection the seduttori so um serpent serpent seduction i think seduttori means seduction I think you're a linguist, aren't you? Robin? <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that's correct. Um, but there's these uh, two new models, um, one in steel um, and, and one in steel and rose gold with this beautiful black lacquered dial, um, which, uh, which, which looks absolutely, absolutely great. Um, the quartz, they're about 33 mil, um, but it has got this sort of um, serpent-shaped head to it, um, so it does look like a softened triangle, I guess. Looks like a serpent, obviously. And I think they, they probably start around, um, I think, just over four thousand pounds. But it's a it's a very cool collection, the the, the, the Serpenti. Um, very very wearable, um, and um, yeah, it's, it's got a beautiful bracelet, um, particularly beautiful bracelet with these hexagonal links, which uh, which look like um, well snake scales, I suppose. Scaglia, scaglia, is that maybe? Um, Mosh too, Rodney. Mosh too. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, okay. uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with this collection this year. And they've started it off with a handful mm. of um, of novelties, but um, from my reading, this is the seventy uh, fifth anniversary of Bulgari experimenting with the with the snake shape in a watch. Um, they first did it in nineteen forty eight, and this is perhaps just there for the uh, the tip of the iceberg or the uh, the end of the serpent's tongue or something. I don't know, but uh, uh, the, the, you're right. Those are they're two very simple, very elegant looking watches, um, which uh, continue the form, continue the story of uh, a Bulgari serpenti. I think the uh, the the tuber gas infinity stuff is uh, is genuinely quite interesting. Though my understanding of those is that uh, this uh, this sort of slithering run of diamonds that they've got running from. Um, a snow set dial into the bezel, into the case, and then all the way through the bracelet itself is is very much is not just new this year; it is the first time they've ever done it. Um, and uh, it's 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 one of those moments where, although I look at it and obviously it has no direct relevance to me as a consumer, I can appreciate the um, I think the, the Swiss would use the word technicity to describe the uh, achievement of uh, of setting these stones into this rippling um, snake's tail of the bracelet that, as you've said previously in this conversation, wraps around the wrist. Um, and it, uh, it becomes very graphic um, and I suspect will um, indeed seduce many, uh, many a, a woman of good taste. 
Yeah, I, I agree, and I'm also slightly. I mean, maybe people know this. I don't know, but um, but the sort of turbo gas, as, as they call it, um, the inspiration for such a beautiful bracelet design came from from gas pipes in Italy, didn't they? Uh, the way the, the the metal was woven apparently uh, was the inspiration. So again, this wasn't ancient Rome. I guess this was early 20th century Rome, but um, it, it's it's quite a romantic and, and beautiful design that was inspired by something quite industrial. I'm always uh, sort of struck by that. Yes, there's something really quite poetic about that, isn't there? Taking the ordinary and turning it into something extraordinary, which ultimately is, of course, what every luxury watch brand does. A watch being a very quotidian device, it's a tool. Um, you can buy watches for tough and take me if you want to, or you can uh, invest in something slightly more spectacular, and these are certainly spectacular. They, they certainly are. And, and, and as you said, I think they, uh, there's a kind of double wrap um, and, and, and a triple wrap, and I think... I think the double wrap has 445 diamonds on it um, through the through the dial, as you mentioned, and wrapping around the the bracelet. And the um, the, the the triple wrap has uh, 486, almost six carats of diamonds. So it's it's quite um, quite well. It looked it looked amazing. It looked amazing when we saw it. You know, really it wouldn't suit me, obviously, but um, it looks looks pretty damned impressive. Well, that's for you to say, Mark. I'm, I'm not sure I could possibly comment, but uh, yes, I think <laughs> I think the technical term for that number of diamonds is a shed load. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, bellissima, as they probably say uh, on the streets of Rome. <laughs> <laughs> the Watch of Switzerland Group, we've got a growing partnership with with Bulgari. Um, we have it in several we have it in several stores now. We 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 put it into um, into Watch of Switzerland in uh, in Battersea in the new centre that opened. Uh, was it October time? That's Quite an amazing place to go. I don't know if you've been to to a Batsy Power Station, uh, Mal. Yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, spectacular development. Yeah, and well done on what, all that you've achieved in there. It's uh, it's a remarkable setup. Thank you. Yeah, incredible. Great. Moving on to Hublot. Um, there's always lots to talk about with Hublot. They're they're not the quietest of brands. This, this has to be said. Yeah, very true. Very true. Um, I mean, the, the thing I, I the thing that struck me or the things that struck me um, from from seeing from seeing the new product. Um, it, it's always um, there's always lots of color and there's materials um, and I think those are the two thing uh, themes really and and particularly talking about about color um, there's a sort of a profusion of rainbow watches we've seen over the last last couple of years uh, Rolex and um, H Moser and, and Patek's Aquanaut that came out I don't know was that October time last year pre pre Christmas last year um, that's something we've seen quite a lot um, and uh, and Hublot have always kind of been um, in, into rainbow watches, so it's you know different coloured stones um, before, uh, producing a rainbow effect on on, on cases and bracelets, etc. Yes, it's become so familiar now. It's almost dare I say it, not not to make much of an impression. Um, the I think what makes an impression with me, for me looking at this Hublot collection this year is that Hublot is just is a brand that refuses to understand the meaning of the word pessimism. Um, there, there, there's so much optimism. Uh, running through this this new collection, um, it's bright, it's colourful, it's bold, it's in your face. It's all the things that we expect of Hublot. Um, and I suppose at some point they may sort of put out some brushed steel time only classic fusion or something, which more or less disappears into the wrist. But uh, as a general rule, Hublot is uh, is is exciting. It is uh, generous in its spirit, and the watches that we're seeing this year very much uh, capture uh, capture that. Um, I mean the, the the two big bangs. I mean again, technically much like with the Bulgari, the 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 discipline required to deliver watches like this is something I can't even begin to comprehend. I mean I can't imagine what it must be like sitting there with dozens, no not dozens, hundreds of gemstones on a table and trying to pick out the ones that graduate 
by colour, one to the next, in order to create this rainbow bezel. And, and the, 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 the bracelets have got, uh, the time only has got 748 in the, in the, in the, um, the chronograph has got 768, uh, stones set into the bracelet. Um, and this is, this is, this is, an, uh, this is an act of extraordinary craftsmanship in Artisandria. And it, uh, sort of hit, but it's hidden behind this, this perception of being very bombastic and of being, it's, it's kind of who can shout the loudest. And I don't love that personally, while at the same time being, um, very, very impressed by, um, by the technical aspect of, of a watch like this. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, um, the, the chronograph—it's a—it's a, it's a flybrack chrono, so there's a, a little bit more going on than than, than just a regular chrono. So it's a—it's a unico movement. And and as you say, yeah, um, the stone setting is amazing. I mean, the, the case bracelet and bezel are set with rubies, uh, pink sapphires, amethyst, blue sapphires, blue topaz, zabarites, yellow sapphires, orange, orange sapphires to create that sort of rainbow effect. And as, as you said matching the stones and getting the gradation right to, to, to provide a rainbow effect it's a piece of work isn't it it really it really is yeah and then when you run your thumb over it it's almost completely smooth uh mm-hmm. phenomenal absolutely phenomenal it's the sort of thing that has to be seen in the flesh to be fully appreciated looking at it in two dimensions is, is quite limiting when you uh, listen to somebody talk about it it's probably even more limiting uh, so uh, <laughs> all i can do is recommend that uh, listeners uh, google it and or at least uh, pop into watch the switzerland store and have a look at the thing because it's uh, it's quite spectacular Indeed, indeed. Um, and and on, the, on that on that colour and, and sort of material thing, um, I mean, Hublot are quite sort of famous for their sapphire cases, their transparent cases, um, and they've um, they've now redu- uh, released the Big Bang automatic tourbillon Saxem, um, which. Uh, was an understated colour, I think you'll, uh, I think you'll agree. <laughs> I, how does one describe it um, to those who are only listening? Um, I mean, it, it, it's sort of, if you took a lemon and made, and pushed the pH to the point where it couldn't stand it any longer, then, <laughs> then you might get somewhere to how closely, or to, to the to the acidity of this yellow. It's, uh, it's intense. It's very intense. It really, really is. I mean, they're, they're calling it neon yellow. Um, and it, I mean, it really is. It's a it's a it's a bold um, it's it's a really bold and striking watch, um, and the Saxon bit um, I, I had all that explained to me. It's it stands for sapphire, aluminium oxide, and rare earth minerals, uh, which uh, rolls off the tongue. Um, Doesn't it just? It, it it really does. But but uh, I mean, in, in in sort of conversations we've had and reading around uh, about about the watch. Um, they were keen to maintain the sort of uniformity of the colour yellow across the curves of the watch case um, and, and the angles of the case and, and the sort of Saxon um, process and, and, and um, materials they use um, enables them to do that. So the, the yellow colour is uniform. It doesn't like darken on the corners, etc. apparently. Um, at least that's how they explained it. And it certainly looked that way uh, when you look at the watch, but it's got rare earth minerals like, Th- uh, thulium and holmium, um, which I had to sort of read up on those old favourites. <laughs> oh, old favourites, yeah. But I, I mean, the I think th- thulium um, is used in X-ray machines. You know, um, who saw that coming? Um, yeah. You saw saw right through it, surely. Surely, yeah. Well, exactly that. But I mean, it's a it's 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 a, it's a beautiful, vibrant yellow. I mean, um, it's they're only making fifty of them. But I mean. Uh, 
Cutlery was a big thing last year. It was a big thing two years ago. Um, and it looks like it might be a big thing this year as well from, from the brands, if, if Hublot's any, any gauge. I don't doubt it. Um, I mean, it's sort of one of those areas in which you can explore endlessly. Um, I think one of the things that, that slightly frustrates me about myself when I come to appreciate a watch like this is that I read that this material section is often used in satellites and some lasers. And I, I want to say, so what? Who cares? That sounds, you know, it's just sort of hyperbole. Let's try and build this watch up by, by relating it to satellites and lasers and other bomb style gizmos. Uh, and then I realized that actually I really love it. And that really annoys me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's not to like? But I say, and it's a, it's a, it's a tourbillon too. I mean, we, we, um, that sounds a bit pedestrian after we've discussed the, the, the case, but it's a, it's an automatic tourbillon big bang and it's, uh, it's quite an impressive piece. It really I is. I think a, a tourbillon is quite pedestrian these days, isn't it? Are we allowed to say that? <laughs> Everybody under the sun has done a tourbillon. I mean, it, fair enough. I'm sure this is um, a particularly fine one. I, I don't know the detail of uh, how this tourbillon is made or exactly how uh, accurate it might prove to be, but, uh, uh certainly visually, it's, uh, it's beautifully positioned within the watch. It's very symmetrical, and I, my eye certainly appreciates the symmetry of it. Mm-hmm. Certainly, is. Um, and and then um, a slightly more um, slightly more slightly more subtle, but still on, on the on the on the sort of color theme, um, we find uh, we find the the Big Bang Unico Unico Sorai time for rhinos, um, which uh, which was interesting. I actually really like this story, and this is the third time that um, Hublot has partnered with Sarai. Sarai being uh, Save Our Rhino Africa and India, which is a—it's uh, not a charity; it's a social enterprise, and that's quite an important distinction. They don't uh, actually do any charitable work themselves. So this is uh, just to take a step back. Of course, this is uh, this is a social enterprise founded by Kevin Peterson, uh, who will be known to many as uh, a former England cricket captain, one of the biggest names in uh, in the in the last quarter of century of, uh, of cricket history. And um, Kevin Peterson has become uh, a conservationist, and he most certainly almost, perhaps he already was, but uh, he founded uh, Sarai four or five years ago and has used his uh, his reputation and the reputation of his sponsors, such as Hublot, to, to raise uh, large amounts of money to support on-the-ground charities who are working to conserve uh, the rhino and the statistics that uh, the the banded about by um, conservation agencies uh, in relation to the the future of the rhino really are quite desperate um, and apparently ninety percent of the uh, global rhino numbers uh, have been wiped out in just the last ten years, which is absolutely shocking when you consider how much work has been done to to at least raise awareness but of course raising awareness only does so much you've actually got to get on the ground and uh, get out there and fight the poachers and if you uh, if you start digging around in Sarai, which I have done once twice and I've interviewed Kevin about this. Um, it is literally a war, um, and on the ground there are there are troops of uh, of mercenaries who've been hired to go and basically track down the poachers and find them, and at the very least arrest them and try and bring them to some sort of justice. Because three rhinos are being killed every day, uh, there are only thirty thousand left in the wild apparently, um, and uh, at that rate they're going to be extinct. Um, well, far too soon, put it that way. So although this watch is obviously visually very arresting. And it's got a rhino grey ceramic case, and its colourways on the dial and on the on the strap are inspired by a, a, a sort of a Saharan sunset, um, and maybe not Sahara, maybe a Serengeti sunset. I'm not sure, but anyway, um, the the story behind it is is what's really motivating for me about this watch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, and as you say, the, uh, the 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 strap is like a camouflage camouflage effect, but it's it's black, purple, and orange. Uh, representing the colours of the of the sky at sunset or, or, or dawn, so it's a it's quite a sort of romantic thing, and it's also got a little rhino on the dial at nine o'clock as well to sort of 
uh, re-emphasise the, uh, the, the, the 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 support it's giving to uh, to, to that foundation. But yeah, it, it's it's a really cool watch. Is that the Sarai logo? I'm just zooming. Yes, it is. It's the Sarai logo, which is mm. uh, at nine o'clock. So yeah, a, a great organisation doing some really good work and a uh, um, hundred pieces of this and a percentage of uh, the proceeds from which will will go to this organisation and to other charities that it supports. Now. Um, Tag Heuer, everybody's everybody's favourite sports watch, I think. Um, so here we are. Well, 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 will it? Will it? I mean, in a way, um, you, considering the sort of um, the history they've got, uh, the, the the sort of accessibility of some of the price points from them, um, and the fact that um, well, we obviously think people like them because we sell absolutely loads of Tag Heuer's in, in various forms. I mean, they uh, they're, they're an amazing brand with a, with a rich history and. Um, and 2023 is a, a, a big year for them. Um, for, well, in one particular one particular watch that they're introducing. Yeah, I mean, goodness, Tankor is moving at such an incredible speed at the moment under its um, uh, relatively new, not so new all of a sudden, but new CEO, Frederick Arnaud, who is, uh, goodness, Frederick is still a year or two short of his 30th birthday, but uh, as uh, as the the son of uh, the uh, of Bernard Arnaud, the, the, the owner of LVMH, he is, uh, he's, he's got some of his father's dynamism, no question. Um, and the injection of pace into uh, both the storytelling, but also uh, obviously the the product launch cycle is uh, is has been something to behold over the last few years. Um, and they've sort of they've definitely got ahead of steam ahead of the 60th anniversary of the uh, of the Carrera, which I think is probably what you're alluding to. Um, and uh, so yes, a watch that was uh, originally introduced in 1963 and which has become uh, well, is it is it is it the world's favourite sports watch? That's a really interesting question. Um, I mean, it's certainly not the most in demand in terms of um, the supply and demand curve. Um, I think we all know which uh, which that might be. Mm. Um, the Daytona would have something to say in that conversation, yeah. of course. But um, but it's, you, I'm, I was interested to hear you mention the word accessible there because it is about accessibility, isn't it? And this mm-hmm. is a more affordable watch and there are more of them and they are more readily available. Mm-hmm. Um, although having said that, there are only going to be 600 of this Correct, new yeah. watch, which has just been mm-hmm. introduced, the Tank Royal Carrera Chronograph. 60th anniversary, um, and I suspect they will fly off the shelves. They, they, they will, they will. Uh, as you say, it's the, uh, um, celebrating the, the Pan America race that, that Jack Hoyer went to in 1962, 63. Um, and um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a, a sort of remake of the 2447 SN, SN, isn't it, I believe. So it's a, it's a sort of silver dial, black subdials, um, 369. Um, so and it's on a sort of... Um, a retro-inspired rally strap with a with a sort of holes in it, black black strap in a in a steel case, um, and it's it it looks wonderful. It looks like a, a proper chronograph. Um, and then you've got the bang up today, the Hoyer O2 movement, the Hoyer O2 chrono movement in there with a with an eighty hour power reserve. So it's um it's a, it's a great marriage of. Um, of, of bang up to date technology in a very retro look i think yeah it looks superb the, the panda dial is is obviously something that remains uh, very attractive um to uh, wouldn't say every consumer but certainly i think to the, to the majority of consumers there's something about the contrast of the uh, the sub dials against the silver silver dial which uh, which really works um but uh yeah sn is interesting i, I the 2447 sn sn stands for silver noir which obviously explains mm-hmm. the colorways on the dial, but I, I never quite understood the etymology of SN because it means silver 
and Noir, which of course is English and uh, and French, and why the uh, why the Swiss didn't uh, didn't go with uh, uh, didn't go with the French yeah. well, exactly. Why, yeah. why why doesn't A N? I've I've never quite figured that out. But um, that's, a good, that's a good point. <laughs> one of the quirks of the uh, of the etymology of this particular watch, but um, no, it's a super watch, and I think. Um, uh, Jack Hoyer's story is, is, is endlessly fascinating to me. And Jack is now in his late eighties. Um, and, uh, sadly very rarely seen in public these days. But, um, the energy that he was pouring into, well, much like Frederick Arno these days, I suppose, but the energy that he was pouring into the, uh, the business in the early 1960s after he'd wrestled control of the company away from his, uh, from the generation above him, uh, is sort of the story really of, uh, of the Swiss watch industry in many ways. Um, he was the one who, who thought globally. He was the one who, uh, decided that, uh, he should, he should stick the, uh, he should stick his, his brand name on the, on the nose cone of a, of a Formula One car. And, um, without meaning to, without, uh, punning too much, you know, drove the brand to success from there. Um, and, uh, he, uh, he's one of the heroes of the Swiss watch industry for me. And, uh, uh it's lovely to see his, his original design celebrated in this limited edition watch for the 60th anniversary. No, I completely agree. And it's it's sort of a neat segue, actually. You mentioned motor racing there and, and the, the, the front cone of a, of a of a Ferrari car. We we should talk about the Monza. Yeah, the lesser spotted Monza. Mm-hmm. Yeah, making a return into the collection. Uh, I think um, so. The, I think the Monza was was launched in seventy six to celebrate uh, Nicky Lauda's nineteen seventy five F one championship win, and it was named after the the Italian race circuit Monza. Um, and so there's um, so the Monza hasn't been in the collection for I don't know. We, we were talking earlier, weren't we? We, we? we at least four, five, six years we, there hasn't been a Monza, but here it is. It is, and I suppose this is a symptom of, of Tagore's confidence. I'd suggest that they're bringing the Monza back. My my understanding, and I wouldn't be 100 percent sure of this, but I think 2016 was the last Monza, and then the one before that may even have been 2011. So this really is a lesser spotted watch within the collection. Not quite as rare as the Silverstone or the Camaro or you know, various other pieces that have. But most of which actually were Jack Hoyer inventions as well. Uh, those sort of pre-1985 uh, watches, which were culled when um, when Tag bought the company. Um, but the Monza was was its its reputation has always struggled a little bit, partly because it lives in the shadows of the Carrera and the uh, and the Monaco. But um, at the time, it was introduced to be a more affordable watch. Which ironically was sort of what the Carrera was in the first place. The Carrera was never meant to be sort of wildly expensive and, and super luxury. Far from it. It was aimed at the sort of aspirational, upwardly mobile young man. Um, and the Monza was introduced. It was the first black watch that uh, that Hoyer had produced, which was significant. But uh, it was just PVD coated, and the PVD sort of chipped off, and it and it and it, it didn't sort of hold its uh, aesthetic at all at all well. And so it was discontinued only a couple of years after. Uh, it was introduced and it sort of always slightly suffered under the weight of its, of its history, which is a bit of a shame for me because I, I think actually the, the cushion shaped case of the Monza is, 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 is eternal. Um, and we, I say eternal. We've had, we've had cushion shaped case watches for a hundred or so years now. Um, and, uh, some brands, Panerai, for example, have, uh, have, have made their, have built their entire story around the shape, but, uh, it, uh, Takoya only use it with the Monza and, um, it's, uh, it's just, it's a great looking watch. It's very ergonomic as well with its cushion shape and very comfortable. Um, but I'll, I'll just leave you to talk about some of the detail. No, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. Um, I mean, it's, um, the way it's expressed now, you, you mentioned obviously about black PVD. Well, the watch in, in this, uh, current iteration is still black, but it happens to be, um, happens to be carbon fiber this time, uh, which is, uh, very, very cool. Um, I think it's got sort of black and titanium pushers. It's got a, got an open dial. Um, so, so it's a, not skeletonized, but it's kind of open work. It's got a, 
a date eccentrically placed at nine o'clock, which is a bit unusual. And it's um, it's obviously a, a Flybrack Flybrack chronograph uh, chronometer. Um, and and I mean, it it, look, it looks great. You've got red hands for the for the chrono functions, and you've got blue elements on there. Um, it's a, it's a it's a really great watch. I think it's going to be about um, I don't know eleven and a half thousand pounds. But then it's a carbon fiber case, so you'd kind of expect um, a bit of a premium. Yeah, it's carbon fiber case. It's, it's a good movement as well. And they've they've introduced a number of quirks into this design as well. So those the two uh, subdials at six uh, three at three and six are covered with a blue sapphire. Um, which is kind of unusual. And then I, I haven't actually seen it in the dark, but I understand that the date wheel um, glows blue in the dark as well. So it's it's got a few quirks in there, which um, I suspect will make this um, quite memorable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's due out fairly uh, fairly soon. You know, um, so, yeah, availability January February time. So we should be able to see that see that in the stores fairly fairly swiftly, which which is great. Um, one one of the things that the uh, again. Uh, Sort of the accessibility thing that we mentioned earlier about Tagoya um, is is the um, foray into connected watches, which they've been doing connected watches for a number of years, um, and they've brought out the Caliber E4 connected. Um, I mean, it's it's a growing part of the business for, for us. It's you know six or seven percent of of the sales of Tagoya are now with, with their connected collection, so it's it's a big deal, and um, you know they. they uh, it's it's a good good price point from around sixteen hundred pounds up to around two and a half thousand, and there are lots of different versions: titanium cases and um, and then golf editions, which I don't really understand golf, but they it track it, it tracks your score and it and, and you can get information about the holes, uh, you know, each holes on the course you're playing. So it's it's a well thought through product. It really is. It is, uh, it, yeah. It, it's it's a space that Tagore has moved into, and I'm not talking about connected watches. I'm talking about golf in particular. The Tagore has moved into very ambitiously because uh, golf is 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 dominated in terms of watch brands by by Rolex, obviously, um, by Audemars Piguet, by Amiga, and, and Tagore has sort of come in at the bottom of the, the ladder, but it's come in with a very unique product, which those other brands that we just listed. Um, don't pretend to offer. Um, but the, um, the golf community, and I am a golfer. I, I, this is, this is confession time. I'm very much a golfer and I have used the previous editions. I haven't used this edition of the, of the connected golf edition uh, on the golf course. And, uh, but, but in the golf world, it's, it's a very well thought of product. Um, uh, a lot of professionals, uh, swear by it. Um, and, uh, I was looking around the other day and, uh, Golf Monthly declared it to be number six out of 10 of the, the best uh, wearable connected golf watches uh, currently available on the market, which given that for a title like Golf Monthly, they're mostly focusing on Garmin and Samsung, the sort of the, the two, three hundred, four hundred pound bits of kit. And this, as you say, is, well, I think that actually the, the golf edition is probably what, 23, 2400, something around there. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, um, it's a, it's very much the premium product in the space, mm-hmm. but it, it competes. And the software that, um, that, has, that was developed by a company that Tagore bought four or five years ago, um, then uh, under Frederick Arno as uh, the, gosh, what was he, head of strategy and digital or something like that, I think he was at the time. Um, and it was his role to uh, to help develop a lot of the software that we now see in the connected watches, including this um, and this this gold software was was uh, developed by a company just outside Paris, and it's um it's brilliant. It's very very good. I've got to say, it really is a fantastic bit of kit. Amazing. Well, we we'll, we'll look forward to seeing that in our stores, and and then um and then probably our, our final uh, final conversation piece from from Tagoya is um is the um, Aquaracer the the, the Solograph. Uh, which again is a uh, an interesting uh, 
type of movement we've seen from a, from a variety of watch brands these days. I mean, Cartier several years back with a sort of photovoltaic, Tag Heuer sort of last year with their with their solar graph and and, and this particular titanium uh, model that's coming out now. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a very different proposition. This it's not mechanical, I suppose, is, is the glaring, the obvious thing to say. Um, and for some people, that will mean that uh, it loses some of its romance, and that's fair enough. But but it stands alone a little bit like the connected, I suppose, because it is a very unusual piece of technology to find in a luxury wristwatch. Um, some of the statistics around it are impressive, no doubt. Um, so once it's fully charged, which I believe takes around 20 hours, it will stay charged for six months without any further light exposure. So you can be pretty sure that it's going to stay charged the whole time you've got it on your wrist. Um, and then if it stops, it only takes 10 seconds for, uh, 10 seconds of exposure to light for it to start again. Stuff like that's quite cool. Um, and, uh, I, m- I must say, actually, I think in this titanium case, it looks the best it's ever looked. I say it ever looked. It's only, it's only, only the second iteration of it. But, uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's a, a pretty solid looking bit of kit, really. And if you are an adventurer, explorer, if you, if you, even if you just like to think of yourself as such a thing, then, um, I think it's, uh, it's a decent proposition. It is, as you say, it's a kind of go anywhere watch. It's a, it's a tough watch. It's titanium case and bracelet. I think is it fourteen mil, so it's um, you know, it's a, a very, very, very wearable size, and it's two hundred meters water resistant. I think, I think around two and a half thousand pounds. So again, um, mindful of inflation, it, it's it's a good price for what it is. Yeah, and I think that there's, I think there's some skepticism around the technology because it hasn't always proved to be successful. Um, but I guess if we're looking for assurances, then. And the news that Tagfoy put a five-year warranty on this watch is, um, is something to cling on to. They're obviously very confident in its, uh, in its prowess. Um, it's been, de- they developed it in partnership with, um, La Joux Perret, uh, the Swiss, um, specialist movement maker, who of course have a very, uh, good reputation. So, um, yeah, I'm interested to see how these, uh, how these play out over the coming years. Yeah. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. But, uh, I don't know. There's solar, solar panels on everything these days. So I don't know. I don't see why you can't have one on a watch as well. It seems to, it seems to make sense. Okay, Robin, so turning our attention then, um, we've been doing this alphabetically to the mighty Zenith, um, a bit of a brand that's been on a roller coaster over, over, over the last decade, but over the last, oh, I don't know, five, six, seven years is on a, on a, a really upward trajectory. It's, it's, uh, they're doing some wonderful watches under, under Julian Tonnerre. Yeah, I mean, it's been a delight to see. Zenith is one of those brands that gets under the skin of people who like a watch. And um, to see the brand uh, reach its star, to use their own uh, strap line, uh, has been uh, it's been a joy. Um, they put out some magnificent watches. And uh, the Chronomaster Sport, I think, was a, very much a tipping point for the brand two years ago. And they've sort of been, they've been riding the wave ever since. Um, and I think uh, the Skyline last year was a, a very useful addition to the collection. And I like the... Uh, the sort of the, the twist of the tenth of a second running seconds hand or ten seconds. How do we? I don't know how we describe that. It was quite an unusual thing. It was a, certainly novel um, uh, to have to harness the power of the El Primero in a in a time only watch so the seconds hand completed a full tour of the subdial in ten seconds. There mm-hmm. we go. That's a better one. That's the one. Okay. Um, was uh, was was a bit of a masterstroke, really, because um, it, it it distinguishes Zenith from the pack. Which is, um, which is what a brand like Zenith needs because, uh, they don't produce millions of watches a year. They produce tens of thousands, low tens of thousands. And, uh, it's a special product for a consumer who, uh, who appreciates the, the history of watchmaking and, and indeed the, um, the aesthetics of good watch design. In, in, indeed. And, um, as, as you mentioned, the, the Defy collection, um, I mean, as you say, it's only been out a, like a couple of years, but it's, um, 
it's almost a third of our Zenith sales now. So it's gone from from zero to to, to a significant a significant number in in a very short um, space of time. And and um, I think I think that the Defy collection it kind of it kind of straddles two things, doesn't it? You've, you've got the sort of retro uh, retro inspired versions from like something out of the sort of seventies. But but the the, the more modern the, the skyline and the, the skyline skeleton that we're that we got, we're going to talk about that they're, they're following that um, steel sports watch integrated bracelets you know kind of Royal Oak kind of look about them but it's very it's very zenith isn't it it's done in a very zenith way I think yeah goodness I you can't help but draw the comparisons can you whenever you put a sort of a, a muscular angular watch uh, design out there with an integrated bracelet. Um, but I mean, this is, this has got 12 sides to its bezel rather than eight. Perhaps there's a point of distinction there. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a successful look. Um, and I think one of the things that, um, Zenith, uh, you mentioned Julien Tornal, one of the things he's recognized is that Zenith needs to be just a little bit more populist in order to, uh, to attract the sort of attention that, uh, some of those more, uh, illustrious brand names, those more successful businesses have. Uh, have, have enjoyed over the last few decades. And, uh, I, I per- personally, although there is, like I said, there's something derivative in every single watch design under the sun. Um, personally, I don't object to it. I think, uh, it's sufficiently distinctive. And, uh, okay, if you've got one of these on your wrist, somebody from a distance might mistake it for something else. But, uh, and the same with the Chronomaster Sport, of course. I mean, I, I I've, uh, had a number of people, I, I, I'm very fortunate I have one. And a number of people have mistaken it from, as a, for a Daytona from distance. But I think, um, there is, uh, there's, there's, there's great value in producing something which is familiar in the first instance, but then when you go deeper into it, encourages a greater sort of appreciation. In, indeed, and I mean, you, the 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 Defy Skeleton Skyline. Um, I mean, it, again, it has an open dial, but it's it's also got the sort of I don't know whether, whether I would call them bridges or not, but the, uh, the the elements of the dial that form this kind of zenith star in, in blue or black um, in in, the, in this sort of steel case watch on a steel on a steel bracelet, um, and it it does have its own look, doesn't it? It's uh, it's, uh, it's it's a great looking watch. Yeah, I mean, personally, the the skeletonized dial is is too fussy for me. Um, I think you've alluded to the sort of the, the pure nineteen uh, seventies style aesthetic of of the. Of the Defy and of the, um, the, the, the standard Defy skyline. Um, that for me is, would be preferable, but, um, I think, uh, they've done it in blue and they've done it in black and it, and it, it fits. It fits within the overall form, the sort of the massing of the watch, if you like. It doesn't look as if it's been shoehorned in there as a bit of an afterthought, as a bit of a, we need line extension. What should we do? It, it, it does work. It does work. Yeah. It, it does. And, and I mean, um, we, we've seen quite a lot of kind of skeletonized or open work uh, watches recently. I mean, Cartier, the Cartier Santos that, um, that came out a couple of years back was a, was a really strong seller last year when we, when we could get it. And obviously, Hublot do all sorts of sort of skeletonized uh, skeletonized watches. So it it is a, a theme. Um, people obviously like it, like to see the movement and. Uh, and I guess Zenith are, are rightly proud of those. Yeah, I think, and I, I, they like to see the movement. I think that's a, a point worth um, extrapolating a little bit because there, there's something in a mechanical watch which uh, which is very tangible. Obviously, uh, there's something about it that is very innate. And for me, the skeletonization uh, of a wristwatch becomes attractive when you want to understand how something works. And we've just been talking about the E4, uh, the connected caliber E4 uh, from Tag Heuer, which is a magnificent piece of, of, uh, of, of, of equipment, let's call it. You know, it's very much a device 
but uh, I have absolutely no idea how that thing works. Uh, I'm sure there are people out there who do, but um, it, it's 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 in, it's it's impossible to permeate really. Um, whereas when you see a skeletonized watch, you start to see all the moving parts, and for, for for many consumers, I think there is a real joy in that, a real satisfaction. Yes. That's very true. Um, so it's a great collection. And also they've got their interchangeable, uh, strap and bracelet system as well, which is, which is really, um, which is really cool. So you can, uh, you can move it off from the bracelet onto, onto a strap and get a kind of different look. So uh, that's again, that's a theme actually that lots of brands are doing. Um, these days yeah well, I, mean, I think it was inspired by my, my theory but on it is that it was inspired by the apple watch um of however many years ago that was now but um you know when that came out and it had this incredibly simple system for chopping in and chopping out straps and bracelets i think the uh, swiss watch industry looked at it and thought well hang on a minute yeah we can do that <laughs> why 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 aren't we doing <laughs> yeah. that um and so actually i find it a slight disappointment these days when a brand introduces a new watch particularly if it's a, a pure designer we've never seen before mm-hmm without that system or without a system yes. of their own mm-hmm. um, because they're not difficult to achieve. Um, I suppose the, the, the challenge is um, making it sufficiently robust so that it doesn't pop out all the time. But goodness, so many brands have done it now that uh, it's clearly something that can be um, engineered into a into the point at which the bracelet meets the case and uh, and done so to such a standard that you can be sure that your watch is going to stay on your wrist all day. Um, and it should be done because personalization, customization, you know, the, the, the simplest way of doing that is to change the strap and so that you can make it your own. Indeed, and, and that sort of it sort of neatly takes us onto onto the thirty six mil uh, versions of, of the Defy that the, that they're just releasing, um, which again you have it's on a steel bracelet, but you have also the, the color matched um, straps uh, along along with the uh, along with the bracelet. So, and those colors are a sort of navy blue and a lovely pink and a lovely green. But I mean, I think the key thing is. Um, is, is is actually the 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 downsizing? It's probably to a different market, maybe to ladies. Yeah, maybe. I mean, thirty six mil, of course, is not tiny. Uh, this is this is not a bijou watch by any stretch of the imagination. It is still chunky. It's still angular. It's still got the dodecahedral bezel. Um, it's still got the three link bracelet. Um, uh, was it two links? Actually, it's probably two links, isn't it? Um, but uh, it um, a thirty six millimeters is is a size that I, I know many men who who actually choose to wear a 36 millimeter watch first and foremost because uh, it looks better on on a slightly slimmer wrist um it looks i mean i'm six foot six so these watches would look ridiculous yeah. on me but um <laughs> yeah. uh, which is a shame because actually the blue dial is well, mm. is, is fabulous um i, I think that, that the whole sort of color thing i mean zenith of course is far from the first to introduce a series of modestly sized watches with very colorful dials um and there's a little bit of me too about this uh, which which would be the only thing i would say about it which i find slightly disappointing but uh, at the same time the blue is great the sort of sea foam i think they're calling it pistachio green uh that's that's very still very fashionable i think will be for some time and then the, the pink dial is is pretty eternal really I, I it's amazing that we haven't done pink dials more in the past i think uh, again most brands are now doing a pink dial of some description and uh, i can see why because it's fun it's optimistic it's bright it's joyful um and i think for a lot of people it's uh, a really attractive dial color as opposed to the normal black white even blue is uh, is very very standard these days well i agree and um you can have it with either a diamond bezel or or, or, a, or a plain bezel but i guess um sort of marrying the, the pink dial watch with its pink strap does give you a, a dramatically different look to uh, to it being on a bracelet, and similarly with the green as well. Um, so that's uh, that's quite a I don't know, fashion statement from a from a, a proper watch brand, perhaps. I say. 
Yeah, can a proper watch mm. brand make a fashion statement? Mm. Oh, there's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> I think they have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think they, and I think they can. And, and actually, I mean, again, that's one of the one of the strengths of the of the watch industry as it stands today is that it has recognised that it, it shouldn't be this sort of cottage mechanical industry that that busies itself in its up in the mountains with little bits and pieces and, and makes these quite dull but very impressive bits of kit. Um, and Zenith is another, I suppose, that at some point in its history woke up and realised that being a, a dusty old mechanical Swiss watch brand really wasn't cutting it anymore and needed to embrace fashion and trends and colour um, and has uh, has done so pretty well really and I think that's one of the reasons why uh, brands that are growing fast at the moment are growing fast because they've, they've, they've worked out how to tap into the zeitgeist and colour is a very simple way of doing it and um, I think you'd be daft not to. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Although a little bit uh, more subtle, um, uh, back up, back onto the 41 millimeter um, uh, Defy. There is a, a boutique edition uh, coming out as well, which uh, I think I think we both thought that was great. So it's it's steel, um, steel case, steel bracelet, 41 mil uh, Defy, but it's got an interesting dial, hasn't it? Um, that was a, that was the key key difference. I mean, it's, I don't know whether this is the last watch we're going to discuss, but it is quite possible that we save the best to last. This is this for me is 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 uh, is my favourite watch of LVMH Watch Week. I think it looks fantastic. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm a guy. I've, I've already said I'm tall. I wear a, a larger wrist, a larger watch on my wrist. This is 41 millimeters. The size is perfect for me, and that sort of sort of subtle yet confident mix of a slate grey dial with those uh, rose gold details. It, it, for me, it, it's just really cool. Um, and I, I would uh, happily slot one of those into my wrist. So, Mark, if you know anyone who can sort me out, <laughs> we'll have a we'll have a word with the, we'll have a word with Rebecca. But yeah, it's, so it's got this anthracite dial. And it's got the little stars and this little star motif running through it, which is uh, you see in rose gold plate, and then you've got the uh, the kind of rose gold batons and uh, an hour and minute hand, and then you've got that attractive running seconds at, 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 at nine o'clock uh, that you that you mentioned earlier, that sort of whizzing round. Um, it's a, it's it's a great a great looking watch, actually, really eye catching. I think mm, a winner indeed. So that was your favourite. We we haven't quite fi- we haven't quite finished yet. So that was our penultimate watch. We. We should talk about finally the uh, the Defy Extreme Glacier limited edition of fifty. Oh yes, of course. How could I forget that? <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, I mean the, the Extreme is is well, I mean, the clues in the name, isn't it? Um, I wouldn't want to say that Zenith have jumped the shark with the with the Extreme form of the, of the Defy. Um, I, I think it's a little bit as we were saying with the um, with the the lasers and the satellites the the the, the, um, the Saxon material is used in for the Huber. There's there's part of me that wants to rebel against this watch, and that wants to say it's too much. It's just too much. It's too big, and there's too many details, and there are too many layers, and it's just too much going on. And yet I know that actually, if I slip it onto my wrist, or at least when I slip it onto my wrist, it, it just it does connect with me somehow. <laughs> there is there's something overtly and unapologetically masculine about it, even with its sort of powdery blue color element. Um, and uh, I can't just can't quite help myself but to like this, um, and uh, I, that's 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 probably my last confession. I mean, it was it, it is it is it is a bold watch. It's a titanium uh, case and bracelet, and um, I'm probably going to say this wrong. Charles uh, Charles Donnet Absolutely no idea. Yeah. It's the first time I'd ever seen the word as well. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I had to I had to read up on it and, and, and have the thing explained to me. It's a, a form of silica. Uh, evoking icy the icy colors of the of the arctic so essentially it's kind of semi-opaque bluey whitey looks like an iceberg basically elements of the case powdery blue yeah something like that yeah that's that's the one and it kind of follows the um 
the extreme desert they did a couple of a couple of couple of years back so it's kind of um elemental i guess um, that's a good word i think i think that's right that's probably why i like it i think that's exactly it there is something elemental about it um it it sort of taps into to to my inner homo sapiens or something i'm not sure Maybe I want to go out hunting mammoths in this watch. Perhaps that's what it is. Inner Eskimo. Um, yeah, and it's um, it's a hundredth of a second high-frequency chronograph movement. So that's five hertz for the timekeeping, and then and then fifty hertz for the for the for the chrono, which is a, a bit of a technical tour de force, I guess. Um, but it's a again, it's a it's a, a very very cool watch. Yeah, I can't help but agree. Yeah, and a limited edition of fifty. So yeah, I think you've already told me your favourite. You, do you want to change your mind? Are you you're happy with the uh, with the boutique edition of the Zenith? Well, I probably won't forget the neon yellow in a hurry, but, um, uh, but <laughs> yes, no, I'm going to stick with my choice. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I think for me, I, I love the, the the 60th anniversary Carrera. Um, that's a very, 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 very cool watch. Um, and I, I think, honestly, I might, I might join you in the um, in the, in the Zenith Boutique Edition, the 41 mil with the with the with the anthracite dial, which um, say that. Uh, it is a it is a boutique edition. Unfortunately, we have one in uh, we have a boutique in Watches so it's in Regent Street. So I might have to do I might have to race you down there. But it's um... <laughs> and then a thumb war. Excellent. I look forward to it. <laughs> it's a, it's a very a very very uh, good looking watch. So that was it, Robin. Thank you so much. This is only January, um, and we've got lots of exciting uh, exciting new products that are going to be making their, their their way to the stores. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your insight as ever. Um, it's wonderful to hear what you've got to say about all, all the watches and a, a different perspective um, than, than certainly I have. So uh, thank you for your time. No, absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Um, and, and and we we are probably about two months away now from um, from Watches and Wonders. So the, the pace of, of, of new releases in, 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 in the watch industry is, is quite relentless, um, I guess. So, so early in the year. Uh, yes, and uh, I've no doubt there will be dozens of releases in between times as well, because as we know, uh, not every brand uh, takes a stand, so to speak, at uh, Watches and Wonders. And so we will see uh, the likes of Odemar Piguet and Gerard Perigo and Richard Mille and there's a few brands in the Swatch Group, for example. All sorts of brands, Breitling as well, uh, will no doubt come out with, with uh, all manner of things in between times and around the fair itself. Um, Bulgari don't uh, exhibit at Watches and Wonders either, but they will be in Geneva with a raft of new uh, new watches. So yes, uh, by the end of uh, by the end of March, we will have seen many dozens more uh, watches enter the market. Indeed, it, it sets it sets the year at really exciting time. So um, it only leaves me to say thank you, Robin, again, and, and um, uh, thanks for listening to, to this podcast. And, and you can check out um, all our all our new releases and our updates on on the Watches Switzerland the Mapping and Web and the Goldsmiths website and on our social channels, which um, delve into all things horological. So uh, my, my thanks and, uh, and goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Calibre podcast. We do hope you enjoyed it. Please do subscribe and listen to other episodes on Apple Podcast and Spotify.